You are listening to The Political Periscope, a weekly podcast brought to you by Radio WNET. Interviews on international politics, security, geopolitics, economy and more, every Thursday at 7pm. Today's guest of The Political Periscope is Pavlo Klimkin, former Minister of Foreign Affairs of Ukraine. Political Periscope in news from last moment, few rockets were launched towards Odessa just after the agreement on export exactly. of uh, Ukrainian grain. Could you comment it? Well, some people uh, have just written to me, is there any logic here? I believe there is a clear logic by the Russians. And the logic is to raise the stakes further. And to say, first, it all depends on us. So any sort of future export with this agreement or without uh, fully depends on us. So the message is uh, kind of uh, behave uh, in a good way and it, uh, it would go on. If not, the whole uh, idea will be disrupted. The second message, uh, the same way clear, they got weakening up of sanctions as an important part of this agreement. Now they want more. The signal, uh, we need uh, more and more as the whole uh, export runs on. And the third one, uh, this message is for everybody, for us, for Ukraine, uh, for the West and for Turkey. So... Uh, <laughs> The, the answer should be also a joint one. It's the only way how we can produce a strong answer. And Putin understands only strength. You can talk to him only from the point of strength, inclusively. There is no other way. He does not understand win-win. He understands history and foreign policy as a, as a sequence of special operations because he was trained as a KGB guy. Uh, so it's, uh, it's about raising the stakes. So I believe uh, there is a clear logic here. Is any kind of agreement with Russia possible? Any sort of peace agreement is not possible, in my understanding. Firstly, there is no trust towards this regime, clearly, not in Kyiv, not in the West. Secondly, of course, under certain conditions, we can come uh, to ceasefire or something. But again, let me stress, I don't believe in any peace deal with this regime. So I, uh, I, I plainly don't believe uh, in any sustainable peace deal uh, with the current regime in Moscow. Just to stress it again. What uh, would have to happen that would let Ukraine sign a peace deal with Russia? We have to be strong enough to counter any Russian attack. We need uh, to have security agreements. We need to have uh, defense and military potential to be able to counter any, and, uh, and I have to stress it, any sort of, uh, of Russian attack to make uh, any sort of peace deal sustainable. And of course, and, and for me it's a red line, any peace deal is possible uh, when we are able to say uh, Ukraine is liberated in the sense of territories and in the sense of our people. Before uh, the liberation of Ukraine, I can't imagine any sustainable peace deal. It's as simple as that. 
including Crimea? Is including Crimea, oh, absolutely. Is it's it? uh, it's fundamentally, uh, it's, uh, well, again, and it, it's, it's very important to understand. Of course, uh, there could be some ceasefire agreements, there could be other agreements. It's difficult to say now because uh, it's going to depend on the situation on the ground, on the situation uh, along the battle lines. But there should not be and there can't be, let's put it this way, <laughs> in a double way, any sort of peace deal, sustainable peace deal, without liberation uh, of all the territories. So, uh, again, uh, some kind of ceasefire still possible in some moment in time, not now, because I don't believe Putin is now ready for any sort of uh, reasonable negotiations. But sustainable peace deal without liberation of all the territories is definitely no. Is it possible in the foreseeable future? <laughs> Uh, well, uh, of course it's possible. Uh, uh, Russia is uh, is getting towards a kind of peak uh, North Korea reality. The sanctions uh, are working. Uh, they can't uh, change Putin's behavior from one day to another. We are not naive. And we are not naive in the sense of saying uh, there are going to be a kind of rebellion. In Russia tomorrow, we are again not naive, but the pressure of the whole Western world is there. The support for Ukraine of the whole Western world is there. And uh, we already clearly shown that uh, Putin fundamentally miscalculated attacking Ukraine. He is not ready to get uh, any big result in Ukraine so far. Now it's a war of attrition and the image uh, of the Russian regime uh, and Putin himself had been always based on fear and respect uh, for the strength. Now the, the respect basically has gone. There is no respect for the strength of this regime as before. Of course, nuclear weapons is still there. Of course, Russian potential is still there. But this uh, mythology about invincibility of the Russian army, of, uh, of the Russian weaponry is gone. And basically, it's about us Ukrainians who, uh, who proved, uh, you know, we can win against Russia. And especially we can win uh, together with the West. So fundamentally, it's, uh, it's about clear understanding that current Russia is not sustainable. So no saving Putin's face? Uh, no, 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 no way. Uh, I, I plainly reject it. And all these ideas about uh, humiliating Putin, not humiliating Putin, it's not about that. It's about uh, winning this war. And we understand it's, uh, it's not possible uh, probably today, uh, but it's going to be possible tomorrow. And sooner or later, they all understand uh, also in Russia that uh, Russia keeps losing. Keeps losing in the sense of real in income, keeps losing in the sense of technology level, keeps losing in the sense of military, basically becoming uh, the pariah of this world. 
because uh, Russia lost uh, respect not only by the Western world. Uh, Russia also lost respect in Asia, for example. I clearly see it talking to the Asians. So at the end of the day, it's uh, about going towards, uh, towards the past, uh, not towards the future. And uh, it's basically what is going on in current Russia. It seems that Germans would like to save Putin's face and to not humiliate him. Do you think that maybe Germany is not as credible, as valuable partner as it was thought to be uh, earlier in Ukraine? Germany is, is of course, uh, is an important partner. And uh, in the time of war, uh, we can't basically uh, picking up uh, best friends and, and not, uh, not, not the best ones. But it's clearly the lack of German leadership now in, uh, in Europe. And German leadership is needed. <clears throat> My point is not just about weapons, uh, not just about uh, the speed and quality of weapons. And of course, uh, there are different uh, sensitive moments. But my simple point, uh, why the Germans uh, are not training uh, Ukrainian militaries? They have all the facilities, they have potential, and it's not about weapons, it's as simple as that. Uh, our Polish friends uh, are contributing to, to, all, uh, to all the spheres. It's not just about weapons, it's about training, it's about all the issues. So why you are not there? And it's a simple question which uh, needs to be answered. Uh, also by the Germans, uh, it's a simple question uh, which needs to be answered in the sense of economic support, because economic resilience it is the same way uh, important for Ukraine as uh, the victory on, on the battlefield. So uh, I can say that, uh, <laughs> that Germany is, is, uh, is not the best partner. But I clearly say that we need more leadership from Germany, and now and even yesterday. Isn't it German leadership that led Europe into deepening energetic dependence on Russia? No, it's not about <laughs> German leadership. It's basically about German complacency, which led Europe where we are now. It's about uh, enjoying uh, being junky on Russian gas and Russian energy resources. It's about uh, enjoying this uh, sphere of comfort. And now it's over. And now we have very interesting discussions uh, on solidarity within the European Union. When the European Commission uh, had proposed let's cut gas consumption by 15% because of the Russians uh, limiting uh, supply. And the Spanish uh, and uh, rightly said, look guys, we were bearing uh, the whole burden of expensive gas because uh, for us it was about LNG terminals and we understood that uh, You know, just uh, depending on, some, on someone is not the way forward. And now who, uh, it's not about blame game, it's about solidarity, but let's clearly understand that it's not uh, one, uh, one for all approach. And uh, I believe uh, they are completely right and uh, there should be a fair approach out of this situation. We are here in Prague on the Forum of Free Nations of Russia, uh, where representatives uh, of peoples and nations inside of Russian Federation gathered to talk about their independence, possible independence, their rights. There are also separatist movements in Ukraine. What's the difference? 
what kind of separatist movements? Donbass, Lugansk? No, no, it's not separatist movements. It's the Russians simply present there directly and indirectly. I clearly recall, I'm a football fan, you know, I don't know whether you're a football fan, you should be, yeah? Uh, but uh, I'm a football fan and I clearly recall uh, our European Championship uh, 2012. And I remember all the European uh, and Ukrainian flags. In, uh, in Donetsk, and uh, I know a lot of people there, so it's all uh, sort of clearly Russian meddling and uh, Russian conspiracy from the very beginning. The, the, in the same way, like Putin uh, had been planning uh, the attack on Ukraine uh, for quite a while. So it's not about any sort of separatist movement. Uh, it's uh, really orchestrated uh, and, uh, and made by the Russians. And I don't believe in any separatist movement. It's just uh, Russia using, uh, uh, probably in the Crimea, it's about using a kind of Soviet nostalgia. And even now they, uh, <laughs> they come up with the idea of uh, returning uh, so-called Soviet brands. They want to resurrect a mixture of empire and Soviet Union because they don't like any, any identity beside uh, their imperial identity. And here, it's, in, it's a very interesting conversation and people uh, have completely different uh, emotions. They are watching uh, Ukrainians fighting and uh, they keep saying now, well, if, Ukraine, if, if the Ukrainians can, uh, can fight and can pull it off, uh, why us? Uh, you know, are not able to pull it off in the future. And uh, for me, it's not about breaking up Russia or not breaking up uh, Russia. For me, it's, uh, it's not uh, about <clears throat> any kind of new federation or confederation. It's about them to decide what to do with Russia. But uh, we found a very interesting discussion. We started working on, uh, on, on, on different ideas. Uh, and uh, if they believe uh, they need uh, this conversation, we are there and our interest uh, is, is very clear and there's nothing to hide uh, here. We are fundamentally interested uh, to have any neighbors uh, which uh, won't be a threat for Ukraine in the future, for the Ukrainian nation, for the Ukrainian statehood. Putin believes uh, everything Ukrainian is artificial, our statehood, our history, our nation, and we proved him wrong. So it's up to them now to prove uh, Putin's concept uh, of empire and uh, new Soviet Union wrong. How do you see the role and maybe autonomy of uh, Crimean Tatars in Ukraine after the war? Well, of course, uh, they should play, uh, should play a role because uh, it's about their history. I read a lot uh, about their history. I talked uh, through uh, the whole narrative of, of their history. And I believe uh, their narrative uh, should play a role in Ukraine. I'm uh, also for, uh, you know, teaching uh, a bit of... Uh, Crimean Tatars history in all Ukrainian schools and even the basics uh, of, uh, of uh, the Crimean Tatar language. Why not? Because it's about solidarity, it's about unity for the future, for the future Ukraine. Of course, we can't, <laughs> we can't learn <laughs> the language as such, but we need to understand them and uh, 
it's uh, it's really about uh, about uh, new sense of unity for for the Ukrainians as a new political nation. And this autonomy, they are not asking for territorial autonomy, but national autonomy in frames of Ukraine. Do you think it is possible? <laughs> Look, it's it's about future discussion. It's it's not about myself saying uh, what uh, what gonna happen. It's about uh, sitting together, uh, drinking coffee or tea, uh, talking uh, as friends, uh, talking as Ukrainian citizens, and to define the future of Ukraine. I believe a lot what we had uh, as a remnants of the Soviet Union in Ukraine uh, will uh, will evaporate. I am a big fan of having a new constitution. In, in the new Ukraine, uh, we're going to be getting towards the European Union. And, uh, of course, the European Union needs a uh, new Ukraine. Totally reshuffled Ukraine. It's not just about rebuilding Ukraine. Recovery is not about rebuilding. Recovery is about transforming Ukraine. So we can say uh, what we're going to have uh, in the future. We need to sit together to talk uh, to each other honestly and define uh, the future pattern of uh, how it would look like. Last question. What do you think about the dismissal of the head of the security service of Ukraine, Ivan Bakanov? I believe uh, we have uh, the president and uh, he's uh, in charge uh, of the country especially in the time of war. It's up to him uh, to decide uh, who gonna run uh, security agencies. So fundamentally, I believe uh, we need uh, the sense uh, of unity and we need the sense of purposes over this time. And I clearly believe that uh, it's a fundamental responsibility of the president to decide who uh, will run uh, our military and our security agencies in the time of war. It's as simple as that. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. This was The Political Periscope. The podcast is released every Thursday at 7 p.m. 